Welcome in to the Diamond Vols podcast. I'm Ben McKee, joined as always by the great Eric Kane as he takes a much-needed sip of coffee. Uh, I do not need coffee because I got to sleep in this morning for the first time in like seven years, and I am I am feeling glorious. Uh, I hope I sound glorious. I'm using my AirPods because I forgot my microphone back in Knoxville. I'm at my parents in Huntsville, uh, so I hope I don't sound too different. Uh, but Eric, what a weekend it was in Nashville. How are you, my friend? Yeah, for the first time in seven years, you sound good. So uh, maybe <laughs> maybe one day I'll sound good when I have to stop waking up so early. But doing great, man. It is a good start to the week. It was a fun sports weekend, really good weekend for Tennessee. And I'm excited for what's to come uh, this week. Yes, and I'll tell you what, it's going to be a drop down in competition or, or at least a, a drop down in excitement because – Missouri is quite different than the two series that Tennessee has played the past two weeks, Eric. <laughs> Missouri tied for last in the SEC East right now and tied with a couple of different teams, Florida, um, South Carolina, and, and I believe Kentucky's the fourth team that they are tied for last in the SEC East with at the moment. But we'll, we'll talk Missouri later in the week. We're, we're going to talk Vanderbilt because Tennessee goes to Nashville and sweeps Vanderbilt for the first time since 2009. It was the first series win at Nashville since 2009 uh, when Tennessee swept Vanderbilt. And then not only did Tennessee get that monkey off its back, but Eric, the last couple of years, Tony Vitello has been able to do a lot of firsts uh, within this Tennessee baseball program or the, the first since whatever year. Uh, and the one monkey that he hasn't been able to get off his back is Vanderbilt. Tennessee had not beaten Vanderbilt since 2016 anywhere. Uh, they, they beat them in 2016 in Knoxville. And so for the first time in six years, Tennessee has knocked off Vandy. And it is quite the monkey to get off the back when you consider Vanderbilt the gold standard across college baseball. Series win. First time in this series win in six years. And um but yeah, to your point, it's been uh, it's been awesome. Plus a sweep, first time since 09. Um, and I mean that is kind of like what we talked about. I mean that is your rival, right? Um, doesn't matter what the sport is. I just think it's hilarious how everybody gets so fired up for Vandy and Tennessee football. But again, that is your rival, and Vanderbilt's the standard, and they're a good ball club. They're still a good ball club, even though their SEC record really doesn't show it right now. So um, a really really good, impressive weekend on the road yet again. And what Tennessee's done the last. Uh, now, again, I said it uh, before the Old Miss series. I said if Tennessee goes three and three over the next two uh, s- series, then, you know, that's that's pretty solid. <laughs> Here they go. They went six and oh. So um, this team is for real. This team is for real. What do you think it says about Tennessee that it went six and oh? And we'll get into the game by game minutia here in a moment. But we, you and I both said that, hey, three and three on this road trip back-to-back weekends would be pretty incredible or maybe not incredible, but it would be perfectly fine. If you go Mm -hmm. three and three, find a way to win one of the two series, especially if that one series win is over Vanderbilt, that that would be huge. But to be six and oh, after these past two weeks is, is pretty remarkable. What do you, what do you think that says about this Tennessee baseball team? I mean, right now, Tennessee is clearly the best team in the country. And, I mean, there's good teams in the country, but without a doubt, Tennessee is the best team right now. That can always change. Of course, we know how, we know how baseball and the season works. But it just goes to show you that – and I thought this weekend, too, overall, 
thought the bats were, eh, they were fine. I mean, Tennessee wasn't scoring 10 runs a game. Uh, I get it, but the bats did enough. The pitching was just incredible, as it always is. And uh, I've been so impressed. Chase uh, Dolander has stepped up so mightily the last two weekends. Uh, Drew Beam has continued on being being his um, SEC, you know, pitcher of the week itself. I mean, it's the the starting pitching has been just phenomenal the last two weekends. So I just think it says that Tennessee's the real deal. Tennessee is the best team in the country. And, you know, something you and I were texting about, I guess it was Sunday, and a lot can happen. Again, you know, injuries are a part of the game. There's a lot, you know, it's such a grind to get there. I get all that. But, I mean, if Tennessee doesn't make it back to Omaha, It'd be a disappointment at this point. I, I truly do believe, but this is a team that is rolling and it doesn't look like anybody's going to be stopping them anytime soon. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I think you hit the nail on the head and it's, it's nothing that we haven't said since last Monday, Tuesday, when Tennessee knocked off Vanderbilt or uh, knocked off Ole Miss. That is this team's the best team in the country. It is. Yep. There, there's not a team playing uh, better than, than Tennessee right now. There, there's not a team better than the SEC right now. They're on the verge of, the greatest start to SEC play in the history of SEC baseball. They're they're nine and zero right now. The nineteen ninety four Florida team set the record by starting ten and zero, and Missouri comes to town, and Missouri's not very good. And Tennessee should sweep Missouri. If if they don't sweep Missouri, it, it's going to be kind of like a serious loss, quite frankly. So this weekend, assuming Tennessee takes care of business, they're going to be twelve and zero to start SEC play, which is the greatest start to SEC play in the conference's history. It's truly remarkable. So I don't know about you, Kane. I, I didn't really learn anything this weekend about Tennessee. It just kind of confirmed my thoughts yet again that Tennessee is not only the best team in the country, but it, it may be the best team in the country by a good bit. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. And um, it's just, yeah, like I – you don't learn much at this point in the season unless you, you know, you, you throw new guys in the lineup, which Tennessee's had to had to do the last couple of games, unfortunately, due to some injuries here and there. But, you know, we already knew that Tennessee had good depth on the bench. We already knew that Tennessee had good pinch hitters that can come in and, and, and spell some guys. Um, I just I, I keep going back. I mean, there, there was a time period where, I mean, of course, he was two and oh or whatever in the strikeout king in the SEC. But we were having some real concerns about Chase Dolander. And again, this is nitpicking a very, very good baseball team. Yeah, we're nitpicking. Um, but what he's done, Dolander, the last two weeks, it's just confirmed that, oh, yeah, this is why he's at Tennessee. This is why he's the day two starter. His stuff is really, really good. And he's gone out and shoved against two of the best teams in the SEC the last two weekends. So I would agree with you. Didn't learn much, um, but very much confirmed that not only is Tennessee good, but they are great right now. And things might get a little bit easier here coming up. But, you know, baseball – It'll teach you a lot, man. I mean, they're the you know a horrible team can get you one day whenever you're just not on. But uh, Tennessee has got the right mindset each and every game. Tennessee's bats did what it needed to do this weekend. They they did not have a a bad weekend. It maybe wasn't the weekend that we've become used to seeing. And we will talk about the bats here in a moment. We'll, we'll talk about the Jordan Beck debacle here in just a moment but I, I I want to start with the pitching for a second straight week the, the pitching was just dominant yet again uh, last week against one of the best lineups in the country got the job done this weekend against a very talented Vanderbilt lineup got the the job done and, and probably and in, in more impressive fashion than last week the the group as a whole Chase Burns, Dolander, and Drew Beam 
Uh, they combined to pitch 22.1 innings, allowing just four runs. They struck out 17. And my favorite stat, they gave up two walks. Yeah. Well, that that's actually my second favorite stat, uh, but it ties in to my favorite. Only two walks given up on the weekend. They threw strikes on 68% of their pitches. 68% of their pitches were done. strikes. Yes, that is getting it done. Burns, he threw 88 pitches. 58 of his were strikes. Dolander and Beam both surpassed 100 pitches, and each of them threw more than 70 strikes. Dolander threw 105 pitches. 74 of them were strikes. Drew Beam threw 110 pitches, and he threw 73 strikes. And Drew Beam, man, just continues to amaze me. I mean, it, it is just absolutely fascinating what he is doing. He is by far the biggest surprise on this baseball team this season. And he has set himself up to be the X factor moving forward and be the difference in in this rotation, this pitching staff being great and not just really good. A, a pitching staff that can lead Tennessee to a national championship. Drew Beam has been the distance. A week after he pitches into the ninth inning against Ole Miss, uh, couldn't get the job done. Well, I guess it was eighth inning. Uh, couldn't couldn't get the job done and finish the complete game. But he comes back this week, and he goes back out for the ninth inning, Eric, and he just sits Vanderbilt down one, two, three. Uh, complete game shutout. Tennessee's first complete game shutout since Garrett Stallings did so on May 16th, 2019, against Ole Miss. He only struck out four, but he allowed two hits, didn't allow a walk, Vanderbilt hit 071 off of him. And, and my favorite Drew Bean stat, aside from the walks, was that seven of his nine innings that he pitched in were one, two, three innings. He was efficient. He was methodical. And he let his defense work for him. He threw strikes, and he let his defense work for him. And when you do that, you're going to have a lot of success, Kane. 16 batters. He retired his last 16 batters, which I think's. Uh, is just awesome. And I, I was waiting on you to say it. Seven of the nine frames went one, two, three. That is, I mean, that's shoving, right? And, you know, pitch, pitching, pitching the contact, letting uh, the Cor Corlin Lawson, you know, had, I, I think at one point in time, I think he had like, you know, five or six putouts in, you know, fourth or fifth inning by that point. I don't know what he finished with, but, um, you know, pitching to contact, allowing he finished with seven, allowing the defense to play behind you, and that's going to get you good results. I love the fact that he only threw 110 pitches, um, you know, nine frames, 110 pitches, just being super, super effective. And the four strikeouts will tell you that, uh, again, he wasn't working too far deep into counts, and and that's why he was able to go the distance, essentially. So, Drew Beam, uh, very much of a question mark there at the at the very beginning of the season, his first probably two to three starts. And then since then, he can, he's, you know, never gone less than five innings. He continues to go on and he's just gotten better and better and better. So for you to finish off a weekend with Drew Beam on the Hill right now, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging for another team. I mean, we're looking at Vanderbilt, a team that has struggled to find a Sunday starter in the last kind of month and turn into a pitching duel, you know, between, you know, Beam and, uh, uh, Riley on Sunday, but of course, Beam was able to prevail and just incredible. A, a, a fantastic outing, and no wonder he was able to get you know pitcher of the week and, and freshman of the week all in one. My biggest takeaway from the weekend, Kane, uh, aside from what we just mentioned about this weekend confirming our thoughts 
and I said that I, I didn't really learn anything, but I have now wrapped my mind around the fact that Tony Vitello, Frank Anderson should not pull anybody from this starting rotation. He, he should not mess with the rotation. I, I hate that for Blake Tidwell. I, I really do. One of the best starting pitchers returning in the country, but there, there is no reason whatsoever to pull Chase Burns, who was the worst. <laughs> I say that with air quotes around uh, around that here on video as, as Kane's looking at me. He was the worst of the three over the weekend, and, and he was still really good. Uh, he was the worst of the th- three behind Dolander and Burns, or uh, Dolander and Beam. Beam. Beam has been tremendous, flawless throughout the season. His ERA is 0.81 right now, 0.81. <laughs> it's either 0.81 or 0.88. It's under one, which is incredible. And Dolander has really turned it up a notch since Tennessee entered SEC play. There, there's no evidence to suggest pulling Beam, Dolander, or Burns from, from the rotation at this stem, at this point in the season with how they're pitching. So if, if I'm Tony Vitello, if I'm Frank Anderson – I'm moving forward with the thought process that I'm going to get Blake Tidwell ready to be the fourth starter come postseason time. Let him be a dynamic arm out of the bullpen as he builds himself back up. Let him come in and close out the game in the ninth inning if Redmond did show the night before, or if it's a seventh or eighth inning where where you got to get two, three big outs, put Blake Tidwell in there. If if Burns or Beam or Dolander are off on a day, just like Burns, he wasn't as efficient as he has been on Friday. He only pitched into the sixth inning. Then have Tidwell ready to follow up Burns because he could only get to the sixth inning. And then you allow Tidwell to come in and, and finish out the game. So I, I would progress with that thought process because in the postseason, you have to have a fourth starter. Uh, in the SEC tournament, the regional, super regional is a little bit different because it's the traditional two out of three. but Regionals the week before is a little funky, especially if you lose that first game. Omaha, you it's double elimination. You're playing a lot of games. You have to have that fourth starter. The fourth starter is typically the difference in the team that wins the national championship and the teams that are the runner-ups or, or come up short. Let Tidwell progress to the point where you get to postseason. He's ready to go and be that fourth starter. And can you imagine a rotation in the postseason of Burns, Dolander, Beam, Tidwell, that's unfair. That's so unfair. And I mean, his stuff is electric. So it's not like he's not going to have a role in this team. It's not like he doesn't deserve to be in the starting rotation when you get to that point, because he he certainly would be deserving. Um, He was fantastic last year, but I'm with you. You've got such a great thing working right now. It would be, I mean, I think it'd be malpractice to, to try to mess that up right now. And also too, I mean, I think we're. I think we often get ahead of ourselves. We continue to talk about well, where's Tidwell going to go? Where's Tidwell going to go? It's still going to be a minute, right? I mean, it's still going to be a little bit before he, you know, stretches out to where he needs to be stretched out. So, um, I love him as a piggyback option. I love him coming into the ninth inning and closing the door down. I mean, you can always throw him for an inning or two or whatever, and then he can go back to the bullpen and throw fifty more pitches to kind of simulate what, what would be a start, right? I mean, there's there's ways to, to continue to get to his his work in, the, the work that he needs to be getting in. So I'm with you, though. When the time comes, and baseball's got a way of just kind of working itself out, right? 
Um, it, whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen, whether he slides back into the, the first three, whether he's a, a piggyback option, whether he takes over for someone who might be struggling at that point in time, who knows? Uh, baseball's got a, a way of kind of working itself out. But this is a, again, this is a fantastic conversation to be having. I mean, it's it's a luxury right now, right? I mean, you got four guys who are who are good. I mean, some teams can't find three starters for a weekend. You got four that are good. And so uh, that's good. another, yeah, they're great. Elite. Elite, yeah. And that's just another reason why this Tennessee baseball team continues to be the, the best team in the country right now because, again, you have a situation like this. Chase Burns is going to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick in two years. Uh, Chase Dolander, at this rate, is going to be a, a top five, top ten pick in two years. Uh, or not, I guess Burns will be three years, Dolander two years. Blake Tidwell, if he can come back and, and show that his shoulder is fine the rest of the season, he's going to be a first-round pick here in June. And at the rate Drew Beam's going, who's to say he won't be a first-round pick? I mean, it's it's truly remarkable. And, and I've already mentioned several of my favorite facts. I don't think that I can pinpoint one. If you put a gun to my head, it would be the two walks allowed by the starters combined over the weekend. But, but that stat, uh, the amount of strikes that were thrown, those are my favorite. Another one of my favorite stats is how little the bullpen was used over the weekend, Eric. You obviously didn't have to use anybody on Sunday because of the way Drew Bean pitched. But Will Mabry threw 23 pitches on Friday. Kirby Connell threw three pitches in a great at-bat when he struck out Enrique Bradfield Jr. to start the eighth inning. Um, and then Tony brings in Redmond Walsh or brings in Camden Sewell to close it out. Camden Sewell threw the most of the relievers uh, through 36 pitches. And like Will Mabry throwing 23, Camden Sewell throwing 36, Kirby obviously only throwing three. They all three could have come back on Sunday and pitched if need be. Uh, even Redmond Walsh, he comes in and closes it out on Saturday night. He only throws 10 pitches. He could have pitched again on Sunday. And Tennessee didn't even need the ones that did pitch. And then Blake Tidwell doesn't throw. Ben Joyce didn't throw this weekend. Mark McLaughlin, who is creeping up the, the list of uh, guys that they trust out of the bullpen, he didn't throw. Wyatt Evans has started to pitch a little bit more. The freshman lefty, uh, he did not pitch. I think Tennessee had to stay an extra hour in Nashville over the weekend so that the pitchers who didn't pitch could get in a bullpen to get yep. some, some action. That That is so wild to me, and I don't think Tony will mind me sharing this, but when he finished his postgame interview, I joked with him, like, hey, are you, are you worried about what Blake Tidwell and, and Ben Joyce might do to you on the bus going back to Knoxville since you didn't pitch them this weekend? And uh, he said he, he was only worried about Blake Tidwell because he would hear – uh, ben Joyce's big ass footsteps coming from behind. So <laughs> hopefully, I, I I tweeted this out, but the hopefully uh, Ben Joyce and Blake Tidwell weren't weren't dangling uh, Tony Vitello <laughs> out of the window on the team bus heading back to Knoxville for not allowing them to pitch over the weekend. Because look, I, we were next to the bullpen, and and maybe it's just the the face that they always have on. You, you don't really see Blake Tidwell or Ben Joyce uh, have emotions on their face that they usually have the same look. So, so maybe that that was it. But they legit look pissed off that they did not pitch this weekend. I mean, they're your competitors, right? You want to get in there, but even them. I mean, the, obviously, baseball guys, pitchers. What, what are you going to do, right? I mean, you made the right call. The pitch count wasn't up there for Beam for Dolander. I mean, you're not going to mess anything up. So they're competitors. That's all. It, that's all it is. Camden Sewell, very big outing for him on Friday. Very big outing for him. 
on Friday. Pitches the ending two thirds, two strikeout, walks one, 36 pitches. He faced seven batters. Um, I, I think that was much, much needed for him after the, the long ball given up uh, in uh, in Ole Miss last weekend and gotten roughed up and gotten touched up a little bit a couple times this year. Confidence-wise, obviously the numbers will help him out a little bit too, but that inning in two-thirds, inning plus, was huge for Sewell. For a guy that Tennessee's still going to rely on, still the go-to guy essentially out of the bullpen, um, he did get some work this weekend, and he looked good. Yeah, it's almost as if somebody on this podcast was not worried about Kim Sewell on on last week's podcast. Hmm, I wonder who that person was. Uh, but yes, the the pitching was the story, and just remarkable that the starting pitchers were so dominant that they didn't need to use a guy who's going to be a first round pick at the end of this season, and a guy who will, will I think Ben Joyce might be a first round pick. I, I don't know if him being a bullpen arm will prevent him from doing so, uh, but a guy that throws 104 miles an hour, he didn't get the pitch against Vanderbilt, the the number nine team in the country and a, and a team that Tennessee has not been able to get the best of. So just a remarkable pitching performance uh, from, from Tennessee uh, as a whole offensively, not as many runs, Eric, as we're used to uh, finished with five, 10, 16 runs on the weekend. Yep. Part of that was because I was very impressed by Vanderbilt's pitching staff. I thought that was, aside from Texas, which, again, was a one-game standalone weekend, that's the best pitching that Tennessee's seen all weekend. I was very impressed by Vandy's arms, especially on, on Sunday. You missed, you mentioned Patrick Riley earlier. He, he was really good. Um, Christian Little coming out of the pen with the teal glove, he was really good. Uh, so I, I think – I don't necessarily think that – Tennessee took a step back or they're cooling off or there should be concern. I just was very impressed by Vanderbilt's pitching this weekend. Yeah, Tim Corbin was too. I, I listened to I read some of his quotes, listened to some of the post-game interviews he um he kind of spoke on after the after the series. So he was frustrated. I mean, I mean Vanderbilt's lost two uh, SEC series to open the season, right? I mean, you just got swept. Um he's not a happy guy, but uh, he knows that you know the game is the game is good for Tennessee right now. The game has been good for him a lot of the times. Uh, but he, he said he mentioned that he said, "Hey, we grew up a little bit. I liked the way we pitched. I thought we pitched very, very well. I liked how our bullpen competed. Um, said that they grew up a little bit. But I, I would agree with you. I think the pitching was good. We knew Ole Miss, quite frankly, on paper heading into that series, the lineup was deadly. That offense was good. Pitching was very suspect. Um, really not impressive heading into the series. And obviously, it wasn't during the series. We knew Ole Miss could throw, or excuse me, we knew Vanderbilt could throw." Replacing a lot of firepower from this time last year, but uh, we kind of expected this from Vanderbilt. But it's good for this offense. Again, it it was it was ho hum. That's kind of the phrase we've been using a lot this season. It was ho hum. It was good enough. It wasn't electric or anything. But again, Tennessee was able to get you know a four point victory, a three run victory. Point. Look at me. What am I? What is this basketball? A four run victory, a three run victory, well, and then a five run guy. victory. Yeah, so I mean, it was it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. You got big insurance run when you needed them. You had a few had a few long balls, had some timely hitting, and um, when you had pitching like you had, you know that's 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 all you need sometimes. Yeah, last week I, I believe the stat, if I remember correctly, was six of the nine starters hit three hundred or better. Uh, this weekend, only three hit two seventy or better, and only one hit better than 300. Trey Lipscomb had the best weekend at the plate. He hit 455. 
He was five for 11. He had a homer. He had a triple. He had a double. Four runs driven in. Uh, now, granted, his triple was on Friday night when Vanderbilt was was having some issues with the lights. And how about that irony that <laughs> Vanderbilt puts in new lights two weeks prior? They <laughs> they they tweet about it Friday morning about these new lights. They have this new fancy light show, like all these new football stadiums have. And not only did they not get to use the lights until Saturday night, didn't even get to use it on the day that they tweeted about them. But the lights were so bright. They were, they were literally so bright. When I looked at them, I, I could not look at them. They were so bright. New LED lights. Uh, it, it really cost them there in game one on in, in that fifth inning to, to where you had Seth Stevenson hit a pop-up and the left fielder could not find the ball. And that put runners on second and third. And then Jordan Beck steps to the plate and hits a two-run double the opposite way. And then after that, Trey Lipscomb hits a triple that the right fielder, Spencer Jones, could not see. He was standing at the warning track uh, at the wall, and it landed like 100 feet in front of him. Uh, so that that was how Trey Lipscomb got his triple. It wasn't the traditional triple uh, cane, but hey. It, it looks the same in the box score, right? Anybody who didn't watch and they look at the box score, it, it looks just like a traditional triple. Yeah, those are those plays where you can't give them an error whatsoever. You just, I mean, even even if the lights weren't playing a role that at all, like if you just, if you're in the outfield, that's why baseball is such a funky sport. If you're in the outfield and you just lose a ball, it's 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 a it's an error, but it's not statistically an error. You don't give them an error, right? Uh, so it's just it's just kind of wacky, but you're right. It goes in the scorebook the same. Thought Lips can play well. You know, at the play, thought he saw the ball very well. Thought Jordan Beck had a had a good series. Of course, I thought uh, Luke Lipsius had a really good series. His home run in game one was huge. Um, very very emotional. Very very passionate, uh, if you will. Um, saw thought uh, Seth Stevenson, you know, played a uh, uh, pretty well overall in the weekend. Um, so you know, I I thought Tennessee offensively was was fine. Um, wasn't as dominant as we have seen, but sometimes you don't need to be as dominant. And if you're able to play like that offensively and still sweep a team like Vanderbilt, you got a good ball club. Yes. But the lineup did take a step back. And again, I, I'm not freaking out about it, but uh, it, it was noteworthy, especially when you look at the stats uh, following the series. Again, Trey Lipscomb, the only guy that hit above 300. Drew Gilbert, Luke Lipschitz, each hit 270. Three. I was surprised that Jordan Beck hit 231 for the weekend when I was looking at the stats because it, it felt like he he did much better than that. Yeah. Uh, but on Sunday, uh, he he just couldn't find any any holes. He was 0 for four with a walk on on Sunday. Did hit some hard balls just just right at people. Uh, I also made Christian Scott at left field getting the start on, on on Sunday. He had a pretty decent day. I didn't mean Stevenson actually did not play very well at the plate this weekend. So no. Yeah, Seth Stevenson did not have a, a good Friday or Saturday. He he did have a double, but that was a win. The Vandy left fielder lost the ball in the lights. And he finished one for eight, but it really was 0 for 9 if the lights mm-hmm. had not been an issue. And he even got pinch hit for there in that second game. Yeah. You, you did see Jared Dickey. That was good to see, considering he's dealing with the, the deep bone bruise. Uh, and he hit it on the screws just right at Enrique Bradfield Jr. at center field. Uh, and then Christian Scott got the start on Sunday. And Christian Scott, man, he he was a 
he was a key piece to, to winning on Sunday. He had a big diving catch down the left field line to, to help out Drew Beam. And then at the plate, uh, he he was one for two. He had a walk, a hit by pitch, and a run scored and a stolen base. He actually, when, when the game was close there uh, late, uh, Drew Gilbert crushed a, a home run in the fourth inning. Uh, it was one to nothing going into the seventh, and Christian Scott scored scored Tennessee scored because of Christian Scott in that set, seventh inning. Uh, Christian Scott led off the inning with a single. There were two outs after that. I can't remember how. Uh, but after the, the, the two outs, he stole second with two outs, and then uh, he is able to score because he got himself in the scoring position on a Luke Lipsius RBI single. So Christian Scott single-handedly produced that run. Not quite sure why he was bunting in the, I believe it was eighth inning. Uh, I, I No, ninth inning. I, I did not really like that decision uh, because it, it resulted in a double play. It wasn't a good bunt. He popped it up back to the pitcher. Pitcher made a great play on it and doubled up somebody. I believe it was Jarrell on, on first. I didn't really, really like the decision to bunt there, but uh, it is what it is if it would have worked. I, I know he has the speed to beat those out, uh, but I thought he, he was having a great game to that point and, and just let him swing it away, especially with two outs. Uh, but I agree, Kane. Christian Scott looked really good on on Sunday. And, look, if, if Jared Dickey's going to be out for some more time, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Christian Scott get some starts out there in left field if Seth Stevenson is going to continue to struggle. Yep, it's a luxury of having guys ready to roll, right? And if he struggles, then Tony will roll somebody else back out there, right? I mean, um, you've got guys just sitting there ready to roll who would be playing a lot more baseball if they played for anybody other than Tennessee. Let's be absolutely frank about it. Um, thought Jarrell Ortega hit pretty well over the weekend. I thought he saw the ball well. Like, I mean, his, I don't know if his average overall the weekend was was great, but he had a couple of walks, scored a couple of runs, uh, drove in a couple of runs overall top to bottom. I thought it was decent. Evan Russell, this is more of a conversation for Thursday, but Evan Russell is going to have to get some time off coming up, right? I mean, this is uh, Missouri is coming to town and <laughs> he is beat up to, uh, uh, to, to put that lightly. Um, and uh, he pitched off the, or he caught all three games again this weekend. So I would expect there to be some, some new guys in that lineup, especially behind the plate, just to give him a break. And Evan didn't have a great weekend at the plate. He was just over eight, but he had five walks. So he walked three times uh, on Sunday. Yes, absolutely. So over eight at the plate, but did draw five walks. She'll take that every, every single day. Looks like he tied, uh, with Luke Lipsius for the second highest on base percentage for the weekend. So uh, he was he was able to to still get on base, which is also very important. He was two for two on stolen bases. And how about the throwout, Kane? On, on Friday, Vanderbilt was able to steal uh, some bases off of him. But he comes back on Saturday, and I don't care if it was Dominic Keegan, their catcher, or, or not, Vanderbilt had four stolen bases on Friday. I think most of that was because Chase Burns was very slow to the plate. But on Saturday, uh, another reaches, and Evan doesn't catch it cleanly. He gets a little bit away from him. Dominique Keegan sees that. He takes off for second. Evan picks it up and rifles it to second and gets him out. It was a terrific play. It was a good play. Good play. Love, love to see that for sure. Um because you know that that's <clears throat> excuse me that's been a worry right I mean that's that's been a worry when you thought that it was going to be very 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 bad this weekend 
wasn't great on Friday, but uh, that was a you're right. I mean, that was a that was a shot. I mean, that was a that was a good throw, real good throw. Yes, and speaking of thinking that was going to be an issue, a big reason it wasn't a big issue on the weekend. Yes, they did have four stolen bases on on Friday, but Tennessee did a good job of keeping Enrique Bradfield Jr. in check on Friday. Uh, did score one run and did have two of the stolen bases, so only allowed two stolen bases to people not named Enrique Bradfield Jr. of the weekend. He reached base all- twice all series long. Just reached base. Well, I mean that. I mean that you take that every single time, right? Yes, that's exactly what I was about to say. One for three on Friday. One for four on Saturday, did hit the long home run off of Dolander in the seventh inning. And then he comes back and he goes 0 for 4 on Sunday. That, that's a big reason Tennessee won and was able to keep uh, Vanderbilt off the scoreboard is, is because they did not allow Enrique Bradford Jr. And when he hit that home run, Eric, I was thinking, man, okay, you'll, you'll trade a solo home run all day when it's Enrique Bradford Jr. Because it's it's like, I mean, he's going to score anyways. Don't Don't allow him to get on. And then the avalanche, avalanche follow after that. So uh, Tennessee did a great job there. Uh, the Jordan Beck situation, it, it was it was something else <laughs> that I had never really uh, seen before. Uh, Jordan Beck hits a home run in the top of the first inning in game one on Friday, trotting around the bases, thinking nothing of it. The wind's kind of blowing out. He hits one out the right field, keeps carrying, carrying, carrying. And he's going into the dugout. And then all of a sudden, the umpires are starting to check the bat of Beck because Dominic Keegan of Vanderbilt, the catcher, had asked the umpires to to check the bat of Jordan Beck. And the, the reason for this, I'll, I'll add this before I go any further, uh, is the, the reason for Dominic Keegan paying attention to that. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily because Vanderbilt was was just being petty uh, and just were being conspiracy theorists. College baseball coaches like to talk. And there have been series this past season where uh, a bat did not pass inspection. And, and that can be for a variety of reasons. It, it It's not solely because they're doing something to the bat that is just extremely illegal. Uh, the, the, the process of passing bats and bats failing seems to be pretty inconsistent from multiple people I have talked to. It it can pass for, or it can fail rather just for simply being too old. If the bats too old and too worn down, it can fail for that reason. And then it could come back on Saturday and pass for, for whatever reason, or uh, a bat could pass on Thursday, which is when they, they do all the testing for the bats. Uh, And then by the time Saturday, after it's used for two games, it could not be eligible by the time Saturday rolls around. So the, the batting process or the testing of the bats, that process seems to be a little flawed. But there, there were there was a, a bat, and it was Jordan Beck's bat, that did not pass in Houston. And he did not play with that bat in Houston. And, I mean, he hit perfectly fine. And, and look, his, his bat was – I don't know exactly why it did not pass inspection in Houston – but I'm, I'm not aware of there being any funky stuff up with his bat in Houston. Uh, and he still used a different bat and, and was perfectly fine. Uh, so from that point on, there, there's been this conversation that has come up. And, and that's why Vanderbilt was 
I'm sure they were eager. I, I would be eager to check a bat too if I'm Vanderbilt, if I had known these things had had happened in the past. So, so that's why that happened in the sense of Dominic Keegan immediately picking up the bat and saying, umpire, please look at this. Uh, Jordan Beck said that the, the sticker fell off uh, in batting practice earlier that day. Uh, Tony Vitello said they had a couple of stickers uh, fall off, which I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know how much I, I believe that uh, <laughs> because, I mean, I'm just being honest. It, it, I mean, the, the, it's not like you're in kindergarten and, and you get a sticker and you can easily take it off of something. I mean, from, from everything I've read and heard is, is that it, I mean, it, it takes a pretty significant process to get. Stickers. It's more of like a stamp. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know Maybe. how the sticker could just fall off. Now I will say this, nothing failed on Thursday. I know that for fact, uh, John Wilkerson has had some tweets out there. Um, and what mm-hmm. I have heard is the same thing that John Wilkerson put out. There was not a bat that failed on Thursday. From my understanding, Vanderbilt actually had a, a bat not passed because the ring test, uh, something was off there, but that was it. And obviously that bat w- was not used or it, it was corrected or, or something. But Tennessee did not have any bats fail on, on Thursday. And now there's this conversation of Tennessee getting the back bat, the, the bat back or not. Bat, back, and Beck, just not not great for, for <laughs> podcasting and, and, and radioing. Um, but Tennessee did get the bat back on Sunday following the game. Uh, it sat in the umpire's room throughout the weekend, as is the protocol. And there, there has been a report from Chris Lee of uh, the, the Vandy rival site that says uh, the, the bat failed inspection or, or failed a, a compression test significantly over the weekend. And I have not heard that, but I don't know how the bat could have been tested because from my understanding, when the bat is confiscated, it's supposed to stay with the umpires the entire weekend. So I don't know how the bat could have failed a separate test than the test that was on Thursday when all of Tennessee's bats passed. When there would not have been an opportunity to test such bat. So correct. So yeah, that, I, I, I've said it all. Ahead. I mean, I, I talked about it on Saturday and I, this morning and everything. I mean, I'm not going to act like I, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to act like I knew everything about bat inspections. I mean, all this I've learned in the last you know, 24, 48 hours. Um, I don't blame. I don't blame Vanderbilt at all. I don't blame Vanderbilt at all. I love the way Tennessee responded. That's my big takeaway. Love the way Tennessee responded. Um, and credit Tony Vitello for getting after it. I mean, you are playing on the road in SEC play against your arch rival, who is one of the best teams in the country, who sets the standard and who has beaten the crap out of you as a program for quite some time. And you jump out one to nothing there in the first inning. And he said, let me see that. You know, you fill in the rest. I thought it was awesome. And then... The way Lipschitz responded a couple innings later, just stamping a ball, stickering, stickering the baseball, if you will, talking trash to literally anyone that would listen while rounding the bases, getting to home plate, stopping on the bag, grabbing the bat, giving it a long gander. That I mean, that's and that and that right there is why everybody hates Tennessee. <laughs> but I mean, it's fun, it's exciting, and boy, 
the passion. I mean, you, you could tell that you were in for a fun weekend for sure. So I, I just, you know, at, at the end of the day with the whole bad thing, it's very, very weird. Um, but I love the way Tennessee responded from that. Yes. I mean, that was huge and, and fun to watch as well, especially with how Luke Lipschitz and his teammates um, celebrated his, his home run, which he absolutely crushed, as you mentioned earlier. But to put a ball in the bat conversation. All of Tennessee's bats passed on Thursday. I know that for a fact. The bat was confiscated on Friday, deemed illegal because it did not have a sticker on the bat. Do I believe the, the sticker story from Tennessee side of things? To be quite honest, no, I don't, as I said a moment ago. I don't know why there's no bat or no sticker on the bat, but that is why the bat was deemed illegal. It's why the umpires took it up, and it sat in their locker room all weekend long. Sunday, Tennessee did get the bat back. I watched it with my own two eyes as we're doing media. I had a look at, at the field. I, I could see behind Tony, and I watched a Tennessee student manager walk with a Tennessee volunteer coach over to the other side, get the back, and I watched them walk back with the bat. So Tennessee does have the bat, and assuming it passes inspection, it'll be good to go on Tuesday against Lipscomb. Uh, and as for the reports, A, the testing, I don't know – how it could have been retested without Vanderbilt taking the bat from the umpire's locker room, which from my understanding, they are not allowed to do. So I don't know how it could have been tested or, or retested and it, and it deemed less than the compression. Maybe the bat is less than compressed to, to, to what it should be. But again, from my understanding, Vanderbilt would have had to have gone rogue and, and practically stolen the bat from the ump's room to test it. Uh, so if, if that is true, that's how that would have happened in theory. Uh, and and I, I do think that Vandy was a little pissy when it came back, when it came time to giving the bat back to Tennessee. I, I do believe that was the case. Um, but I, I'm, I have not heard anything to this point that would suggest that the NCAA is going to punish Tennessee or that the SEC is going to punish Tennessee. And here's the other thing. Why would the bat, if they're going to be punished, why would the bat be given back to Tennessee? Yeah. You would think that the bat would have to be shipped off to the NCAA or the SEC, and then further testing or investigating would be done. But the fact of the matter is that all bats pass on Thursday, there were not supposed to be any retesting of the bat over the weekend while it was in the umpire's locker room. And Tennessee did receive the bat back on Sunday, headed back to Knoxville. Does every university program have a compression machine? I do not know the answer to that question. Because uh, again, all these bats are inspected before the, before the game and or before the weekend series. Thursday. Yeah. Well, what, I was going to say, what do they do for midweek, right? I mean, they got to do it for midweek too, right? I, I would assume Monday afternoon when when the other team uh, gets gets to to campus. I, I want and it's Tennessee's director of baseball operations, uh, Chad Zercher, who I believe is in charge of going through that routine from Tennessee side of things, uh, and I believe that the opposing director of, of baseball operations is in charge of of doing it for for the opposing team as well. So. 
But every weekend long, there or every week before every game or midweek game or every series, there is a process to where you go and get the bats inspected. They're, they they got a stamp that's put on them. And then every week, there's also a compression test. And so Tennessee's bats, just like every other team's bats in the, in the country, are put put in towards those tests and they come back if they pass or fail and everything. So I just, you're exactly right. I mean, you got the bat back. If he uses the bat again, it will go through these inspections and it will pass or fail. If it doesn't, you don't believe the bat will be used again. So I just, I don't know. This is a, a weird situation, um, very weird situation. And of course, you know, you're the number one team in the country, the way Tennessee plays, it runs people, you know, wrong, uh, a little bit wrong, you know, and I, I get all that. So you have opposing fan bases chirping and everything and it is what it is, but, Ultimately, I don't think anything's going to come from this. Um, to my knowledge, after conversations with you and other people throughout this weekend, this happens more than you think. It's already mm-hmm. happened a couple of times for Tennessee's team this season, and we knew nothing about it. So it just kind of is what it is. Batgate, if you will. Um, a lot of talk on Friday night, but uh, uh, ultimately didn't face Tennessee whatsoever, responded the right way, and picked up a critical series win via the sweet fashion over your arch rival Vanderbilt. Yes, and Auburn had it happen last weekend to them yeah. because of, of too much pine tar, I believe, is was the the reason why it happened. But was it um was it Beck that said Friday night, give us wooden bats, it don't matter, we'll do whatever? Yep. I, I asked him what would you say to people that are saying that you were cheating? And he said and he laughed at me. Uh and granted I was giving him the opportunity to to say what he feels needs to be said to those people. It, it, I, it, it I was an assist. I, I I tossed him a softball. Uh, I was not trying to – it wasn't a gotcha type of question. Um, and, and he kind of laughed and, and said that that's silly. We have plenty of firepower. It doesn't matter what bat you give us. Uh, we'll, we'll be perfectly fine. You can give us wood bats and it'll be okay. Uh, they, they gave me a different bat, and I hit a two-run double the other way with it and, and had plenty of pop on that one. So, And here's the thing as well. Bats are not – good luck hitting Tennessee's pitching. <laughs> so uh good good luck hitting Tennessee's pitching. Tennessee's yeah. bats if if they're doctored or something's up with them, um they're they're not gonna stop. Also, the, uh, not every hit them. Not every single bat would be quote unquote doctored either. And Correct. Tennessee's lineup as a whole is pretty pretty stealthy. So I don't know. It's uh I've learned more about this process in the last two days than I care to ever know about. It's just it's wild, man. There's so much more that went into it than I and I even imagine um, Brad Rice talked to me about how they do it on the softball side of things and how they're kind of cracking down on that. So maybe it's a diamond sport thing altogether. He said that they, they sent out emails, you know, to the softball program saying, hey, have your bats out for inspection, have it ready to go, really look for the sticker, yada, yada, yada. Maybe they're doing the same thing with uh, with baseball, too. I don't know, but it's uh, it's really interesting. It is indeed, and I agree with you. I, I, I know more about, about this process than I ever cared to know. One, one thing we should add on the funny aspect of it, how about Tony Vitello's in-game interview referencing Jordan Beck as Mike Honcho? Oh, that's another reason why everybody loves Tony Vitello. You can tell that he was annoyed, one, to be doing an interview during a game. Two, he was mad at the situation, but he makes light of it, and uh, a nickname that will stick for the rest <laughs> – stick. A nickname that will – hopefully stick for the rest of the season for Jordan Beck. So that was awesome. Shout out to sticky Ryan Shumpert. Love you, Shump. Um, but that'll do it for this edition of the Diamond Vols podcast. 
He is Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. We'll be back What's with wrong? you all later this week. Uh, Eric is going to cover uh, Tuesday night's midweek game against Lipscomb. That one, believe I believe, starts at 630. Bring in uh, the backups, so baby. Th- that's right. That's right. Bring in the D team uh, because the A team is out of town. So uh, Eric, I'll surprise still won't be there, but I'll be there. <laughs> Who's awesome? Uh, quit distracting me. Uh, Eric will have you covered with full coverage of Tuesday's game. And uh, we'll be back with you Thursday or Friday, Thursday, uh, because the series starts on Friday, to preview this weekend's series between Tennessee and Missouri. Eric, have a good week, my friend. Hey, you too, buddy. We'll see you when you get back. Perfect. He's Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. This has been another edition of the Diamond Balls podcast.